to have like I don't know play play drum sounds on a drum pad at around four different layers of velocity um and then maybe if I'm in a dark room and I have lots of other things to do on stage and I'm stressed that'll be three different layers of velocity so yeah. kind of I'm optimizing for that so when MPE comes along and says um I don't know you now have 1000 layers of velocity then I would probably break that down into three and make sure that those are really reliable and do exactly what I want them to do um, and use that in my life set. Um, have you ever had Ableton crash on you, you know, during a performance? Yeah, all the time. <laughs> yes. Do you use a backup at all? Do you have a sort of redundancy machine? Is that done at all in, in the drum and bass world? No, it should be. I mean, I, well, the DJs don't need it because Pioneer is doing great work there. It's very reliable. But of course, I'm just one dude. And when I start writing Max for Life patches, I can put bugs in there. And I had some pretty mean ones. I mean, there was one, one bug that I worked with um, where basically I would uh, uh, send sensor data into Ableton Live by playing a uh, touchpad instrument. And that sensor data was for some reason being stored in a file uh, which would mean that after 20 minutes of continuous playing, um, the file size would get too big and Ableton would just crash. Um, and that bug was so bad because in order to test if I had solved it, I needed to play for 20 minutes straight. There was no way yeah. to kind of like do a dry run and see if it's better now. I needed to perform for 20 minutes to see if it's now not going to crash anymore. Um and that, I mean, that kind of stuff is just, yeah, if you get really involved with the programming, you open yourself up to problems like that. And it's a pain, but I got through that, luckily. Uh, another yeah. one was a when I used Ableton in a sound installation and I had tons of Max for Life devices, which were kind of um, uh, lots of parameters that would sh continually shift over time. It was like a generative uh, sound composition engine that would take in um, information from the visitors of the exhibition and change the parameters over time. And because Ableton, uh, I think eight at the time, had unlimited undo, it would take each of these parameter changes and write it in a text file. And then over days and weeks, that text file would just grow in size until it was as big as the entire hard drive and then it would crash as well. Yeah, it's it's I mean I'm I'm laughing about it now. It was I was pissed at the time. Oh, but yeah, um, for sure. <laughs> it's just it's just funny things like that. And of course afterwards you learn and you realize you just need to write your Max for Life patch in a way that makes sure that it doesn't save everything that it does. Uh, but things have to go wrong at least once. And um in terms of, I mean, I had a couple of crashes which were live on stage, um, but that was maybe two, three times in the in the beginning. And afterwards, I was very focused on, um, like not having that happen ever again. And the solution that I had for that was just prototype or no, well playing, like rehearsing for days and days and days and days. 
before I would do a performance so yeah, that sure. anything that comes up during the time uh, would be, well, unsurprising because I had tested with exact, exactly that equipment in that way uh, on that computer um, for countless hours in advance to make sure that, um, yeah, your stuff doesn't crash on stage. Yeah, so when it, when it did crash, I guess you just have to sort of like quickly restart it as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's another and if thing. If it did, would you try and like start the same song again or would you just move on to something else? No. So um, it's like that's the other thing. You design the live set in a way that it's instantly playable. Yeah. So, because there's always, usually when you build like an electronic system like that, you have to do a bunch of mouse clicks to kind of initialize that and open that and activate this track. And then you're ready to play. Um, and that's another thing where Max for Life can be helpful because you can just write something that does that for you. So you start the session and then you wait. And once it's ready, you can immediately start playing and you can very easily skip to where you were before. Uh, uh, so okay. this whole initialization process um, is, yeah, it's very important for when you want to use it on stage because that's, that's basically, like, you don't want to, do any mouse clicks on stage, really. <laughs> In the best yes. case, you don't touch the mouse when you're on stage. What kind of uh, MacBook Pro are you using, like, specs-wise? Um, that is a MacBook Pro from mid-2015, and it's got a 2.8 gigahertz quad-core i7 with 16 gigs of RAM. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I've got I I have a similar machine to that, and... Yeah, it has been quite quite solid for me. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, in general, I haven't really had too many issues, but I have been thinking about, you know, when I go to replace this one of just like keeping hold of it and then having this as like my redundancy machine. Oh, um, yeah, definitely. So that just in case the other one goes down, because there's like, um, I'm sure there's probably a number of companies that do it, but like the, I don't know if you've ever seen the eye connectivity, They've got like a Play Audio 12, yeah. uh, which you can have both laptops plugged in there. And it's just like seamless. So easy. If one goes down, it just automatically picks right up. The other one picks yeah. right up. And I mean, that's the most correct way to do it for sure. Because if you... Um, yeah, I guess if you, if you have a... This is... Uh, Theoretical now, if you play to 100,000 people five days a week, um, crashes are not allowed. <laughs> yeah. So you, you set that up. Um, crashes are not okay in that context. Okay, so you have new music out. Is it, is it, you've got a new album coming out, is that right? Um, I have an EP coming up in the next year. Um, I do have a lot of material that kind of... Um, because basically I, my last album was released around four years ago. And after that, I spent three years focusing on sound installations. So yeah. like multi-channel sound in uh, media installations with wall projections and, and like that, that kind of environment. And there's a, that has a certain sound as well, which is very focused on like... Um, high resolution 
ambient sound, 3D soundscapes with lots of little elements to them, lots of little details, kind of either highly realistic, um, like like nature soundscapes, or like slightly realistic with a dash of, of sound design that doesn't belong there. Um, like this whole space is really interesting to me. So I spent a couple of years in there, and now um, in the last year, I've kind of worked on putting that sound aesthetic back into my music. And that is like the material that I work with at the moment. So more structured, more produced. I mean, yeah, we're back at the track format. Um, but I'm really excited about like putting soundscapes in there, which, which kind of have this more static, more um, installation type vibe to them. Um, and so there's an EP of that coming out, uh, in the new year. And yesterday I've just released the first single of that. That was on 11th of December, um, to, to start that process. Yeah. So I've had a listen to that song. I believe it's called, is it Engram? Is that Engram, right? Yes. Yeah. And it sounds awesome. It's like so well produced it's so clean and it's Thank just so like much. such such a joy to listen to especially in headphones but i wondered if you could just talk to us about like some of the sounds and just the thought behind it there's like so many kind of like builds and then drops and then builds and then drops and it sounds great and just in the beginning it's almost like i can't put my finger on it but there's almost like this sort of like liquid feel i don't know some of the sounds that you're using um, it all sounds like brilliant, but I just wondered if you could just talk to us a little bit about, you know, some of the instruments and sounds that you use and your sort of whole thought process with the production. Yeah, I mean, that that liquid feel, that's definitely uh, uh, inspired by the sound installations. So that kind of, that thinking where you don't, you don't look at a like at 20 seconds of music you don't look at it as something that has a beginning and an end and it's going somewhere but as something static that is built up of many many vertical layers and they all kind of work together to create a certain atmosphere and that's i mean i i don't make ambient music but um this this quality of sound is something that i really love and in this track in particular um, that's kind of, I mean, when there's no drums, then that's the thinking behind it. And then um, there's, uh, it's all built built around layers. So like there's a layer of wind on top. And then under that, there's a layer of um, like a synthesizer pattern, which is kind of filtered to be frequency wise, just below that wind and very soft. And then there's this uh, thinking of, um, like you want to place little sound events in there which don't don't really are particularly important in the bigger picture but there's like a little um, a metal bell sound in the background and some interesting foley sounds which are kind of placed there um, and then as you go lower there's like some synth harmonies and, and yeah the basics and some other pattern work um, but it's all kind of meant to be moments that are just um, there 
and there's no there's no risers or anything connected to them that make them particularly go somewhere um and another important element in that context is that um i've spent i mean since since all this lockdown stuff happened i've started going into um more text-based programming languages and unity in particular um and in that context, it's been really fun to kind of try and build synthesizers in Unity. And I've written a couple of prototypes, which I can run on my iPad, which are basically interesting and fun ways to process audio. Um, also from this perspective of creating interesting soundscapes. And there's a lot of material that I've kind of generated uh, during the prototyping, which I then feed into the music uh, and use in that more produced context. And you are a yeah. very smart dude. I don't think you're going to have any trouble finding a job when you're finally done university. <laughs> it's a uh, well. The problem is if you if you have too many interests, uh, it's hard to specialize. And there's a lot of jobs in the industry which you can't really do unless you're really specialized. I'm always really I'm really interested in game sound because it's got this similar. Uh, idea that you kind of build worlds that are supposed to be as immersive and rich uh, and deep as possible. So that's, I mean, that's also a really like exciting work in my opinion. Um, but like for that thing, for example, you have to be super specialized because yeah, most, lots of people can do um, like a bunch of Foley recordings and some sound design and some music composition for um, a video game environment but if you want to work in that space you have to do like I don't know a hundreds of the 100 of those environments in one and a half weeks and they have to be top quality so that's where the specialization comes in and I'm always uh, I have trouble with that because I just really like um, experimenting with new things and and learning skills along the way yeah, can you talk to me about some of the synths that you would have used in that song? Was it all software or were you using hardware ones as well? Um, yeah, so some of the synth material was um, uh, the Vermona Mini Lancet, highly processed. Um, I do not own that synthesizer anymore because it broke a couple of months ago, um, but I did a lot of jamming with it and kind of like have it as sample material. So that is stuff that I intensively worked with. Um, and then most of the other stuff is either, um, yeah, like sampled, sampled sounds which are processed so much that they sound like synths or quite simple and clean synthesizers. So there's a lot of, I mean, I work a lot with percussive synthesizers and um, like simple, short harmony um, synths. And those are all um, basic synthesizers. Like one of them, one I really like is the, uh, it's a Juno emulation and it's yeah. called Tall Juno. Yes, LX. I've got it. Yeah, exactly. That's really a favorite of mine Um because the handling of it is really nice and really clean. And it doesn't do a lot of things, but you get results really quickly. And usually what the way I work is I'm, um, I build like a basic layer 
uh, with that synthesizer. And then I add like three, four layers of Foley sounds on top of that to give it character and make it sound as sound interesting to me. So most of the sounds that I use are a combination of simple software synths and uh, layers of Foley sound. Yeah, I have a friend who's got a real Juno 106 and he does. He's basically full-time producer in the studio. Yeah. And as soon as he got the Tau plugin, he said, I, I barely ever use the real thing anymore. That's he's like, heartbreaking, this, but understandable. <laughs> yeah, he's like, the Tau, it's just, it's so good and it's just so easy just to pull up and get a great sound right away. So, yeah, it is, it's a wicked one. And anyone who hasn't, uh, hasn't heard about it, then please, yeah, feel free to check it out. I think it's Tau Audio. They do a bunch and it's like the Uno LX, I think. Yeah. And I think it's a Juno 60 emulation. I think so. There was, yeah, an artist that I play with and the Juno sound was really sort of like big and quite vital to their sound and didn't want to, didn't want to have to bring the synth with us as we fly all over the place. So, yeah. It was, yeah, getting that plug-in was, well, yeah, it was just like a massive game changer. Okay, cool. So I've asked you about your song, Ingram, which, I, again, I think is, it just sounds wicked. And it's just the way that I'm sure anybody who listens to it thinks like, that is how I want my music to turn out. That's how good I want it to sound when people have a listen to it. So... Well done. Did you mix that yourself? Did you have somebody else mix it? Uh, I mixed it myself. I um, do the mixing. I mean, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm particularly good at mixing. Uh, it's something that I have not spent so much time with. So I spend a lot of time on, on sound design. But when it comes to like using compression on the master or multiband compression or that whole thing, I'm... I'm not particularly uh, informed in that space. Uh, So for this track, I did the mix myself and then I had it mastered by somebody else. Well done. So um, I've had you on the line for quite a while, but I just want to ask a couple more questions if that's okay. Sure. Um, Really just kind of like want to see what, what is coming next for you? What do you hope is coming next for you once all the sort of coronavirus is over kind of like music wise what are you hoping to do um yeah so i have two bigger projects in mind um one is a synth that i wrote in unity which is based around like a really intuitive playable concept um and that is something that i really i mean i put up a couple of clips um, and the feedback that I got was really overwhelming. Um, I got a lot of interest for that. Um, so that's definitely something that I want to pursue um, and turn into a finished product, which is obviously a monumental effort and it's going to require a lot of new <laughs> new chops on my end. Um, but that's something I'm really excited about and looking forward to. And the other thing is to keep working on my live setup to get it to a point where I, I mean, in an ideal world, I get it to a point 
where I don't need to produce anymore because the depth that I get from the sound coming out of my live set is enough for me that um, I can leave the DAW behind. Um, yeah. But that is, I mean, I guess right now it's still a pipe dream. I'm not, I'm not there yet, um, but it's, it's really fun to work towards that. And I'll continue that into the new year. So, Fred, if it's okay, I'll just ask you a few questions from my friend. Yeah, definitely, uh, for sure. So, yeah, shout out to my friend Nathan McKay. Um, he asked a few questions. So we'll just see if any of these, I'll just read out a few and you can let me know if you want to uh, answer any of them or not. So he said, yeah. uh, do you have any, any tips for mono compatibility when you have such dreamy stereo songs? <laughs> um, yes, ignore it. <laughs> um, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, I'm not, um, I'm not a particularly good mixing engineer and I'm way more excited about stereo sound than I am about compatibility. Um, and if you think that what I make is good and you want your stuff to sound like that as well, then don't worry about monocompatibility because I don't. You know, when you're at Soundcheck, are you ever, you know, firing, firing things off in Ableton and then like just going out front to try and get a feel for what things are sounding like out front, you know, on a big system? Yes, always. Um, in the, whenever I have a Soundcheck, I spend most of the time uh, in front of the system because that's uh, where people hear it. So yeah. that's what you're creating for in the end. Uh, another question. Any cool collabs like one with hip color or other? Yes. Um, I have a bunch of material, which is very good because I got really good collaborators. Um, and I'm eager to release it, um, including work with Hip Color and a couple of other talented people as well. How do the teams at uh, Blue Martin and Hospital Records encourage your sonic explorations? Um, wonderfully. I mean, I've been, in that regard, I've been very spoiled because for most of my uh, artist career, I did never I never had to worry about getting music to the listener. I just had to worry about making the music. And that freedom is um much appreciated. Um I that basically gave me the uh the opportunity to do whatever I felt was right. Um and just create things that I'm really proud of and then it would just be taken uh, from me and turn into something that can be uh, distributed. And yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I appreciate that a lot. Okay, cool. And last one he's asked, um, are there any sort of like new MIDI controllers um, that we should be on the lookout for? Anything that you've seen that you think, oh, that looks pretty amazing? Yes. Uh, for me, that's definitely the Sensil Morph. Um, sure. It's, a 3D trackpad, but you can put different overlays on it to turn it into a drum pad or a MIDI uh, keyboard. And it 
also has MPE, so it's very flexible. But for me, the best thing about it is that you it has an editor and you can slice it into your own uh, distribution. So like you can place, if you need one slider, three um, uh, pads at specific positions on the trackpad, you can put them there using their editor and then uh, send that into Ableton. And for me, that's that's a total game changer because I can just see which like which hand position feels the most natural and intuitive to me and then adjust the MIDI controller to that. Um, yeah. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. And I hope everybody gets uh, that uh, controller from them so that they keep making those. Uh, are you still using Novation controllers? Are they still part of uh, your setup or have you evolved from that? No, I still use them. Basically, they, they fulfill all the utility functions. So, um, for example, at the moment, I have a, like I put all the sounds that I have in my live setup on a two-dimensional space uh, so that I can morph between them. And for those kinds of things, like where in the in the sound space do I want to be for the next track, that's something that I put on an Ovation controller because it's not something that I play but it's something Is that, like that a I quickly Novation launch pad or something different? Um, yeah, so that's the Novation launch control. Um, yeah. Uh, I just got the uh, launch pad MK2 because it has velocity sensitivity and aftertouch, which is also amazing for me. But, it, I mean, it's not particularly new. It's just um, I had the older one for years, so I didn't have velocity and aftertouch. But now... I can play around with that and basically try to get as much expressivity out of one button as possible uh, by having triggering different sounds with different velocities and different aftertouch and different uh, aftertouch patterns over time. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely working with that. And I think there's a lot that I can still get out of that. Um, yeah, no, it's obviously, you've obviously chosen the launch Launchpad launch control over Ableton's push for a reason. Yeah, um, yeah. So what 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 was the main reason why you wanted to go for Novation over sort of Ableton's? Pragmatically, the amount of buttons. Yeah. Um, and more generally, the flexibility. So I any equipment that goes into uh, more of a controller for a workstation. Uh, is not interesting for my live setup because I'm not looking to optimize my production workflow. Um, but I'm looking for tools that I can uh, shape the way I need them to play my music live. Yeah, and I should have asked this earlier. This is usually when I ask, but um, are you mainly doing your live set in session view um, or arrangement? Uh, exclusively session view. I have... Yeah, sure. Almost, I use Ableton in arrangement view very little. Could you send a screenshot of what, say, one of your like your session view for a live set looks like? Yeah, definitely. I can send you that after after now. Yeah. Um. So lastly, I just want to give you a chance to sort of like tell people where they can go to follow you online. Yes. Um. I make the things that I make under my real name, which is Frederick Robinson. And you'll see like little views of that, little clips of my prototypes on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook if you search for that name. My music is on Spotify 
And I also have a, a portfolio website, um, which you find under robinson.audio, which contain, contains the uh, sound installation work that I've done. Awesome, Fred. Thank you so much for your time. Let me know. Is there is there anything else that I haven't that I haven't asked you that you uh, would? No, I, I think we covered a lot of ground. Cool. <laughs>